Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Star Wars universe is constantly expanding. So how the heck are you going to keep tabs on it without a holocron? And where in the rim can I score the juiciest news and rumors? Ah, you seek State of the Empire. Nerdy Show's Star Wars speculation podcast that looks for news in Alderaan places. We dig into the Sarlacc pit of the internet for the hottest intel in the galaxy far, far away, make Indiana Jones inquiries, and keep watch for the latest on Willow. Head to nerdyshow.com slash Star Wars. It's the show you're looking for. Lightning Dogs, the official podcast presented by the Nerdy Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. On Nerdy Show programming is made possible by a comic shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. And with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdishow.com. Lightning Dogs is conceived as an all-ages property, but these behind-the-scenes conversations are not all-ages. So listen at your own discretion, baby. Woo! Sometimes a great idea is truly like a bolt of lightning. And sometimes, if you're lucky enough, you can capture the exact moment that it strikes. That's what happened for us one fateful night while recording an episode of Nerdy Show. We accidentally launched a concept that derailed the entire show and in no time, our lives. We couldn't stop talking about our favorite action figures and B-movies while twisting them into strange creatures, weird adventures, and dog puns. Lots of dog puns. This is the story of Lightning Dogs a journey steeped in the glory of 80s and 90s animation and sci-fi where anthropomorphic dogs tear through the wasteland of a ruined earth, battling mutants, miscreants, and the evil glampire. Coming soon to small screens, comic books, and podcasts. Or at least that's the goal. But how do you go from a crazy idea into a fully formed world of conflict and characters? How does a harebrained discussion become an animated series? That's what we're finding out firsthand. We've recorded the entire development of Lightning Dogs since day one, from the moment of conception to every world-building session and planning meeting, and the journey is still ongoing. Tune in as we create the world of Lightning Dogs live. Welcome to Lightning Dogs! Hi, I'm Cap. I'm Tony. Hey, I'm Doug. In our last episode, we shared clips from a business meeting where we circled our wagons and redefined our plans for Lightning Dogs. Our goal was to bring the project from behind closed doors and introduce a public facing for Lightning Dogs, creating this very podcast and launching a crowdfunding platform to help us continue the project. We became an LLC, opened up a bank account, started the process for filing trademarks, and set a course for finishing up final character designs and cementing the details we'd need to create our pitch bible, the document we'd use to sell the idea of lightning dogs to potential investors. Now, that all might sound hella boring, and a lot of it is. But have no fear, in this episode, we're giving you the fun stuff. We're locking down the backstories for Nerissa, Pierre, and Dingo. There's a lot of exciting nuances and even some real 
name changers. <laughs> but before we start that, I actually uh, had a little art jam session with a uh, local shop not so very long ago, and it wasn't intended to be Lightning Dogs related, but I got something out of it okay. that ended up being Lightning Dogs related, and it also ties into some work we've been doing with Max behind the scenes, Oh, because in our discussions with Max that either happen on the air or just tangential stuff on email and Facebook, where he'll send us some crazy car stuff and we all kind of react to it, Yeah, there's been some really cool things that have been kicked around, some things that haven't really made it into the Lightning Dogs proper yet like uh for example trapped sphere wheels Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. which is cool as hell but we we don't know where they're gonna go yet and they're not on any of the main lightning dogs vehicles but one of the things was a was a monocycle which is a a single wheel motorcycle and he did this image that was really striking of a little kind of like a like a spaceman on a monocycle and we were like yes exactly that that has to be what makes up the bulk of, let's say, Jack's gang? That's what his boys ride on. Yeah, like typically like thrown together from the fewest parts possible, just so that they can move. Yeah, in a terrible, terrible book, but Shadows of the Empire, the Star Wars novel <laughs> that takes place between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. If you've played the game, you might be familiar with the chase sequence on Tatooine, where you ride basically a speeder bike. Swo- the swoop, yep, but, swoop bikes. But they call them swoops yeah. because they're not formal speeder bikes like the Empire had in Return of the Jedi. They are piles of crap cobbled together that happened to move like a speeder bike. Mm-hmm. I mean, what better device for the wasteland? I got one wheel, I got an engine. It's so much better if I just <laughs> just cobble it together yeah. and ride, right. ride a motorcycle. Put a gyroscope in there and, uh, and ride the motorcycle. seat on the top of the engine itself. So working with both Max's monocycle idea and then also something new, we've talked about how we need more iconic bad guys for Jack to hang out with. If you look at the back of the first Ninja Turtles blister cards, you had the four turtles, April and Splinter, six characters total. We got six lightning dogs total, not including Beast Town. And then on the bad guys, you got Shredder, a foot soldier, and Bebop and Rocksteady. If we had this first wave, there's other characters we could fatten up the bad guys with, but there needs to be like, you know, that core villain group. So right now we have Glampire and Halloween Jack and other characters like Captain Scrap, Nagel, they're what would be considered later characters. Mini boss. Yeah. So who are our guys who are going to be like the first people the clan. That, that they that they encounter? Yeah. Who are our foot soldiers? So I've got one here that I don't have a name for yet, but uh, <laughs> uh, I wanted to get you guys' reactions here. <laughs> I assume he's wearing like a uh, head of a statue or something, like as a helmet. No, that that's a theme park mascot head. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Of a goofy rabbit. Who knows what the hell that thing looks like under there? He's got toes and fingers that don't quite match up, but he's you know kind of a general like neat looking playmates early 90s action figure looking goon body type with like cool mismatched armor and so kind on but this, five nights at freddy's uh but but then a big iconic right. weird head that's all busted to fuck and, right, right. and riding on a monocycle if this is an action figure he'd come with the monocycle and a crowbar and then the action figure and they'd be all in one you know blister card together right. this is incredible yeah i'm digging I, it it's like for I, a split second as you handed it i'm like is that a dog? We already have a dog. Then I'm looking at it and I go, oh, wait, no, that's just, pro- oh, wait, it's cracked. Oh, that's a helmet thing. Like, <laughs> so it all makes sense. But yeah, 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 completely. I'm all about that. I must want to call him Slinky because he reminds me of a Slinky dog. That's not a bad name. That's a, that's a very good goon name. Like one of those ones that's like cute, but they think it's tough. Uh huh. That strikes me as just the design you've got there because he's got those big Disney eyes and that big goofy ass smile. I also like the little touch of like the jack o' lantern on the front like fender there or whatever. Yeah. It's all part of the Halloween Jack Dang and you know, and it's slightly costume themed, you know? Like yeah. that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. It's, it's the theatrics that come with being in a gang. Yeah. At yeah. least a fictional gang. This has got me thinking though. 
you know, we were we were having a hard time coming up with a lot of freak designs for the gang. If they're the Halloween gang, they can just dress up in costumes, and we don't have to see a lot of their faces until we have to. A really baggy mask, something that's obviously masks, could be kind of interesting. Or even like string masks, you think, like around the back of the head. I mean, that that could be a good look. I would worry about like theming it too hard because I think the more motley, the better. Mm-hmm. So we don't want it to be like Monster Squad, basically. Like it needs right. to be a thing where like Halloween Jack can exist alongside this dude and this big fucking mascot head because we've always toyed with the idea of him being like in a theme park or a carnival like where where does halloween jack hide out like where, top where's of manhattan chase well, yeah well okay we're done oh, like, i got, had to <laughs> I, I had to it's okay we can move beyond it i think it was simon newell aka heavy devil i think it was him aka I, I, new roswell i apologize if this is not a correct attribution but i think he said diamond dogs take place in hunger city and you guys have wanted to get away from it being specifics to the, to the David Bowie thing. But, yeah, yeah. but what if Hunger City was the name of a restaurant? <laughs> <laughs> and if the Manhattan Chase was a roller coaster at a theme park. Yeah. Uh-huh. That, that kind of sounds like... No, Hunger I, City as a, as a diner makes sense to me, you know. No, and I can kind of picture mm-hmm. it being one of those like themed rides. Ooh, and then his car could be one of the like cars that was on the track that he broke off throw outfitted yeah that's the shit right there it's a good mix like i think we can make the kind of coney island vibe that jack has work without it being overly contrived i mean because like realistically a theme park should have been somewhat annihilated yeah and and to be completely frank carnivals don't do it for me i mean in in reality like i don't i don't it's it's all jared leto joker yeah it's all circus like i don't get circus themes if this is pre-1954 and uh, Disney has not opened yet. I get why the circus is important, but am I making any sense here? Or am I just talking in my ass no, again? Like, no, it's like, I, you no know, I get why you don't enjoy ma- it. Maybe you hate fun. If we have, say, a mascot head, like the kind that would come from a theme park, right. you know, maybe we could we can make some kind of theme park that would actually have infrastructure that could survive an apocalypse and be an interesting Well, dude, landscape. like Disney World's got the underground. Exactly, you know, exactly what I was getting angling towards. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. There's something to that. See, here's the other thing. We never really discussed where Glampire lived either. Like, we knew it was kind of gothic, but we never went further beyond that. Mm. It'd be interesting to me if Halloween Jack lives in a Disney surrogate where it's like, yeah, it's a castle and there's amusement park rides and stuff, but he's living in like a princess fairy castle, like, you know, where it's like, he's like, yeah, this is the life. This is what, this is like, Glampire would enjoy this. But meanwhile, well, Glampire's, it, you as, know. It's as theatric as like a pimp's hangout, right? Like, yeah. Really flamboyant style furry walls so right so so if he's if he's reclining in like a bed with like a, a, a canopy yeah, yeah. princess if, canopy if, thing, um, you know? if glampire lives in castlevania <laughs> halloween jack lives in saints row four <laughs> you see what i'm saying i get you i get yeah, you yeah no you don't understand this is a proper mutated horse here he's got a horn coming out of his head it's like uh, I think and that, wings that were grafted. Uh, Jack, I think that's a unicorn. No, it's new. It's all new. I invented it. <laughs> the, the horn's got spikes on it, too. I, I added the spikes. Extra spikes on the horn? Extra spikes, yeah. <laughs> Fire the jackapults. <laughs> <laughs> that sketch wasn't the only point of inspiration. At the time, Doug was rooming with a game designer friend of his, Alvin, from the indie game developer AB Game Studios, currently best known for the Tron-like parkour game The Concourse. The subject of beat-em-up games came up and opened a door to another realm of Lightning Dog's influence. We were just, you know, having a 
conversation about hopes and dreams and why everything sucks today. And uh, I was, <laughs> I was like, hey man, because I, you know, empowering. Like, Good. Yeah, yeah. It's I a was, great place to start from the bottom. Because for me, it's like you know, if someone asked me like, oh, what's like one of your dreams? Like, oh, my dream would be that Lightning Dogs would be you know like a cartoon and people would enjoy it as much as we enjoy making it and feel like the fandom would really feel like they're a part of it, you know, and I don't know all that fun stuff. Anyway, I was asking him, like, what would you really want to do? And he goes, oh, man, my dream would be to make a game that was successful enough to where we could afford the rights to buy the license to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to finally make a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles beat-em-up game like we've been missing for decades. You know, like, they've tried, and they were okay, but they never quite got it right. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. Man, that would be really cool. But, man, you you know, you'd never get it, though. Like, the Turtles, they got it on lock, and they're making new games all the time. They'll just, they'll, they'll never be a thing. And, you know... I would encourage you to make your own superhero team and make your own beat-em-up game. And as I'm saying this to him, like trying to be an encouraging friend, I go, wait a minute. <laughs> it's like, I know exactly what I can give him. And I told him all about Lightning Dogs. And he was just like, that sounds pretty awesome. I We have to talk more about this. So we like we talked about it in depth. And his dream of making a beat-em-up game of the Turtles shifted over now to just making a great original style beat-em-up game, but with Lightning Dogs. So... We're in talks now to see what it would take to make a Lightning Dogs side-scroller beat-em-up circa 1993. I'm going to say two. Two? Close yeah. enough. Yeah. But realistically, the more you know side projects relating to Lightning Dogs that we stack on, the harder the project's going to be to do. Right. We have to refine our focus. So as soon as Doug told me that, I said, amazing, brilliant, I really want that. But we don't have the time. We should not touch that with a 10-foot pole. Yeah. And it may yet go into some degree of development that we could participate in but at the very least it got me thinking and i think in a really positive way because doug you asked the question of well what beat-em-up games would we want to have as primary influences for this just as how we use action figures and cartoon shows as a platform for determining what we wanted to express with lightning dogs Mm -hmm. the aesthetic and gameplay types and villains and so on and conflicts of beat-em-up games and also run-and-gun shooters as i started thinking about it I realized could be a substantial influence to just things to make the wasteland or the content of the episodes for Lightning Dogs feel more lively. I need endless streams of enemies. Yeah, and weird little problems. Every time I thought of a game, I'd pull it up and I'd be like, oh shit, it's Konami. Every game I thought of that I thought was a key influential thing that should be referenced was Konami. Oh, they ruled the roost before they decided to shit the bed. They, yeah, they, <laughs> they really truly did. And there were some games that I was reaching for. I was like, well, there's also, there was an Aliens game that was run and gun, I think, and then there was... There was this cowboy game. What the hell was it? it? Ended up being Sunset Riders. Both Aliens and Sunset Riders are run and gun games, which means it's like Contra, where it's like yeah. a beat 'em up, but you shoot a gun. Except unlike Contra, these actually were more of the beat 'em up style of gameplay. But what was neat about them is they had so much more going on in terms of boss variety, level variety, different challenges, different environmental things that would happen. For example, in Sunset Riders, in the first level, it's it's a cowboy game. And all of a sudden, there's a cow stampede. You have to jump up and continually run along the tops of the cattle as they're moving forward. Well, they trample the bad guys that are around you. Yeah. And there's like a, there's a boss that's two identical twin brothers who are up in the rafters of a saloon while you rock back and forth on a wooden chandelier and they throw like Molotov cocktails at you or something like that. And all this variety, I was like, man, we could take these ideas, just put our own lightning dog spin on them. There's such a great launching point for influencing new thoughts. Yeah. And it opened a door. I was like, suddenly there's more resources to pull from for just coming up with good lightning dogs ideas. Than just like the old cartoons and stuff that we were referencing. Now it's like, man, we didn't even think about video games as as an inspirational source. I'd never even thought about lightning dogs as a game. I was like, well, comic book, audio drama, ultimately television show, maybe, maybe a live action reboot movie in 20 years. 
never thought about a video game, and it just makes the, so the much beat sense. Up, yeah, the beat-em-up is such an easy step for yeah. Lightning Dogs to take, and we've already got, I'd say, four solid people that a gamer could choose from as their beat-em-up character, each with their own little superpower that you would be able to activate and then recharge via power-up on screen. And then we've got an additional two people that would sit there in the background, maybe two or three. I think all six could do it. Yeah, for a while I was thinking, well, maybe somebody like Kane would be support staff. And the more I started thinking about it, I was like, no, because video games don't necessarily play by hard plot rules of any right. anyway. We could actually do a pretty compelling... One of one of my favorite side-scrolling uh, beat-em-up arcade games was The Simpsons. Marge <laughs> Simpson and Lisa Simpson whip some ass. That, yeah. yeah, you would never think. You're like, how are they going to be in a beat-em-up game? Like, Lisa Simpson's literally like, she's a little girl with, with a jump rope. And she also, whips you. One of the influences, of course, would be Streets of Rage. Of course. One of my skate. favorite characters. Exactly. I, I, skate, kid, yeah. right the fuck there. Yeah. And right when, the fuck there. When I was talking to my buddy, he was talking about Streets of Rage, how he grew up on Streets of Rage. Like, he could play it blindfolded. And he's like, yeah, but what kind of game? Like, 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 uh, the one, like, kid. Like, well, what's kid going to do? I'm like, well, dude, kid's on rollerblades. He's like, yeah. And I'm like, skate's on rollerblades. And he's just like, oh, damn. Suddenly he could <laughs> see how she could fight. You know, like, it suddenly made sense as to, like, what she's fully capable of when you cut her loose. And, you know, he's like, what about the power-ups? I'm like, oh, well, yeah, the power-ups, you, you beat up enough bad guys, you pick up enough crystals instead of coins. They don't drop coins, yeah. they drop crystals. You're charged up. Thunderbark. Kid can blast lightning. Pierre has a speed attack that looks a lot like that attack Nightcrawler does in X-Men, which... Where he just zips all around it, the fucking which, screen. Which looks yeah, like yeah, a yeah. speed attack, even though his power is teleportation. It's always kind of bugged me, but it always looked really cool. I was thinking like Berserker Slash, except it doesn't have claws, but just like the, you know, like back and forth on the Berserker screen. Berserker Barrage. Yeah, yeah. And, and Angela, <laughs> when she charges up, she could just bowl through people, you yeah. know? It's it, It's there and then even have like, because you know how you'd have those like screen clearing attacks? Mm -hmm. Beast Hound. Yeah. He just shows up. Kid tears can up, call Beast Hound. Exactly. Tears you know? apart everybody on screen and then boop, yeah. off and away. The game almost feels like if we don't have the show up and running by the time this game is ready to be produced, it feels like this would be a good way, a good product that we could focus toward well and, and most importantly it's, it's something that other people would be doing the harder work for ideally yeah which uh. <laughs> as as the fact that this has been a lot of behind the scenes you guys know we're, we're busy we are we are busy individuals it's so hard to do this and everything else and then to arrange doing less of everything else so we can do more of this yes. especially when the everything yeah. else is the stuff that the average fan is a fan of well, yeah, our show's pre-existing, not to mention yeah. our day jobs, of course. Oh, yeah, those things. Yeah. We, oh, like, yeah. We, we like to pretend those don't exist, but, oh, they exist. Oh, dear God, yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, someone would be doing the heavy lifting. It's a good way of getting the IP out there, keeping the brand alive. And it would be a fun-as-fuck beat-em-up. I would right. play this game all right. goddamn day long. We talked about, like, ideally, in a perfect world, what would this game be like? And I'm like, all right, well, at least two-player co-op. on not four. Like, yeah. couch co-op. Maybe multiplayer online. Whoever wants to sit Castle play. Crashers. Yeah, I actually pointed to Castle Crashers. There's like the interactivity of that, teamwork of that. I figure we'll keep it really simple at first. It's sort of a straight beat 'em up. Don't have to do too much puzzle solving or whatever. But if yeah. it, you know, but then again, we're talking blue sky ideas right now. So there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing, nothing planned. Limits, yeah. to, to me, the most important part is that the practice of thinking about this hypothetical game, whereas it would normally be irresponsible to think about it, is actually right. pretty inspiring for what content we come up with that would be a neat game because well, it forces that turns to, into lightning dogs right. real real lightning dogs well it forces you to think of a scenario and you have to have logical things it's like okay well what if we did a level on captain scraps ship well captain scraps gonna be there but 
who you're fighting. You know, it suddenly you have to start thinking in, in these terms, like, well, how would a fight like that go? And then before you know it, you're thinking up power sets and you're thinking up like moves and and funny one liners yeah, and, 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 and obstacles. Yeah, like, you know what obstacles are they overcoming on the ship? Exactly. And then all of a sudden, we have better ideas for how to confront when we write such an episode as that, featuring that kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. It's great. Lightning Dogs has always been a really energetic, creative process. It's just a new burst of energy. It's yeah. surprising. Mm-hmm. Looking at the the little dude here that we've got with his with his little head. Yeah, that guy I belongs picture. right in a beat 'em up game. The the, the ones the, the, that you the, hate the zip, the zip out. out. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Then, like you see the wheel, and, then boom, it's as, gone. As soon as I drew him, like even though he's a guy on a motorcycle with a crowbar. I'm thinking Roadkill Rodney from Turtles in Time, probably the first Turtles game as well. I don't remember, but the monocycle robots with mm-hmm. the with the whip arms. Mm. Uh, Fuck I mean, those guys. Yeah, they can be <laughs> real bitchy. By beat 'em up logic, a bunch of guys that look like him but with different colored heads and with, <laughs> with with chains. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Done. As of this recording, Alvin has experimented a bit with the fundamentals of building code for a beat 'em up, but presently. The focus is still very much on continued expansion of the concourse, which you can pick up on Steam for only $10. Lightning Dogs, the beat-em-up, is still only a pipe dream, but one that continues to inspire great ideas and help us look at our world in a new light. But that's enough of opening acts. It's time to get to the main event, our characters. The Lightning Dogs have come a long way, and here's where all the pieces begin to come together. If you rewind back to earlier in the series, You'll remember we created a lot of the in-depth details of our canine team by divvying them up between Doug, Tony, and I. Well, we're back at it, but with more detail. And this time, Doug and I have gone 50-50 and both get a chance to put some TLC into the dogs we didn't get to write for the first time around. There will be, at some point in this, maybe some controversial changes. We'll see. There's one in particular, and I'm going to save that for last, but I'll start with the easy stuff. Here's the format, everybody. We've got name, age, rank, weapon of choice, power set, personality, bio, goals, fears, loves, hates. And first up is Narisa, whose, at least for the moment, last name that I've picked is Narisa Price. Okay. okay. Uh, age 29, warrant officer, weapon of choice, pistols and assault weapons, especially a heavy modified magenta colored pistol she calls Ruby. Power set, full spectrum sight, beyond the range of dog or man. Mm-hmm. Personality, cunning and compassionate. She's the heart of the team. Bio. Nerissa was just a pup during the invasion of Lycos and grew up among the underground resistance. She'd help out with first aid, supplies, mechanics, anything she could get her hands on, anywhere she could dive in until she was old enough to be of use in the field. She worked primarily as a scout and saboteur, and her multidisciplinary focus made her a key player in keeping the resistance trained, armed, and alive. The Alliance worked alongside the resistance to take back Lycos, and Nerissa was folded up amongst their ranks, becoming a warrant officer and continuing to fight for liberty even after the war ended. Civilian life was a pretty dream, but one she felt out of place in. The war left many countries destabilized, and Narisa was a key force in alliance-led relief efforts that doubled as espionage strike teams, bringing order and rebuilding a unified domus. That's beautiful. Yeah. I was like, all, all the key things I always wanted, but worded better than I did, so bravo. <laughs> and the thing that kind of excited me was I realized, well, she must have spy experience she's like the times in james bond where q actually gets stuck out in the field and imagine q is younger yeah yeah you know the lightning dog is a team of the best of the best and someone like that being on the team wow she's even more exciting than i thought she was yeah i'm done with that goals to make the world a better place she's one of the most altruistic people on the team like I'd she, say, yeah I'd, I'd say so yeah. she she genuinely cares to that degree fears loss loves a challenge and music and hates suffering oppression and pettiness Oh, she and Kane are going to get along 
swimming. <laughs> yeah, they they they're gonna be an item for sure. Almost Opposite as if track. it were planned. <laughs> <laughs> so, any changes you, you guys would would want to make to any of that or no additions? Even the simple note of she enjoys music. I'm anxious to see what she thinks of master music on this new planet. I actually had a thought to that end because I was you know I wanted to keep it simple for this page, but I was thinking about songs of rebellion and how in many cases where there were political rebellions and, and actual like mm-hmm. wartime rebellions songs were, were really important things folk music things like mm-hmm. that and that whereas this wouldn't necessarily translate directly into the world of lightning dogs because obviously things are very very different here that certainly the resistance they, they might have been songs that the people would sing yeah. in lycos that would subvert the regime that was overthrowing that city I just love the idea of her wanting to hear master music and she starts to understand like when she hears old folk music or or, or rock and roll that was anti-establishment and she can not only relate to it but yet feel like a connection. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, Fortunate Son. Yeah, but yeah, anything. <laughs> just, <laughs> there's more than just Fortunate Son, but yes, yes. <laughs> Hit us with the next one. So we got Pierre and my at least pending last name for him is uh, Beret, which is uh, B-A-R-R-E <laughs> with a thing on it. And uh, done with it. Maybe. I, uh, yes. I, I, nope. I, Doug? I, out, I actually I picked it before realizing that it phonetically from an American's mouth sounded like beret. It was not actually picked to mean that joke. I thought it sounded like a nice complimentary French last name, but it may be overdoing it significantly. Nope. So I, 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 it's approaching it. I, we can hold it if we think of something else. You know, like, no, there it's it's not worth expending any additional thought into because that last name is perfect for what we're creating. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We were already we already have a French poodle named Pierre. We don't want to like Yeah. We also have a basset hound named Angela. That's but her a, name is Angela Bonehart. But she's still a basset hound. The joke is still there. It's a really buried joke though. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. We've taken steps to bury it a little at least, but it's it's the kind of bone that would be found by any other dog in the yard. And it might even be I might even be pronouncing it wrong. I just kind of like it's like it's like Pierre Cousteau. You know, it's like Pierre right. Bar. Maybe it's Bar. I don't He's know. also not I'm, Pierre I, Croissant. Yeah, but it may as fucking well be if it's Beret. Pierre Cigarette. I am. I Pierre am. Accordion. <laughs> like, why are you just saying things with a French affectation? Pierre Le Mime. <laughs> it is. It, I mean, it is. It is not the same word, but. Well, uh, we'll, Anyhow, we'll, we'll, we'll change that maybe. Age 30, rank sergeant, weapon of choice, hand-to-hand martial arts, and pistols. D- d- distinction martial arts because in dingoes, it's hand-to-hand tactical. Hmm. Q- yeah, like CQC versus just punching the fuck out of somebody. Mm-hmm. Power set, enhanced speed, and reaction time. Personality, sarcastic and quick-witted. 
bio. Pierre's small nation dodged the worst of the war, but this son of the ruling class joined the fight for honor and glory. He soon found that war wasn't all heroics and accolades, but his courage and sharp thinking kept him alive and made him a valuable and decorated asset, keeping his cockiness well intact. Being trapped on a desolate world with no way home is a nightmare, but it does have one saving grace, earth tech and music. Exploring and tinkering with the culture of the masters presents many new challenges. What's more, in instances that the lightning dogs aren't fighting to survive, they're experiencing high adventure, which will make for great stories if they can ever make it home. Goals to live, love, and look awesome while doing it. Fears being mundane. Loves wine women's song and lightning fast custom cars. And hates being stuck in one place too long. Great. I, yeah, nothing to change there. Yeah. That's, hey, you that's said pitch something Bible contra- ready. You said something controversial coming, and given that Dingo was the last one coming. Yeah. Right, let's see. Yeah, blade on us. All right. So we talked about the Dingo redacted thing. I realized that I couldn't make that work for me. The fact of him having his name redacted, I couldn't come up with any real good reason for that. I, and to be fair, we never had an in-universe explanation other than that he was a mysterious guy and that maybe they, they're keeping it secret because of the tough shit that he's seen. Okay. But if we have a name... I'm so not against got, him having got, a name. Yeah, I have no problem with him having a last name necessarily. I just couldn't. Uh, I couldn't think. think I, I couldn't think of a name either. So um, that's why I was fine. But, but, but yeah. So a- Angela's last name is Bonehart, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because don't say Red Rocket. Hold on, hold. On. <laughs> that's really funny. It hadn't crossed my mind. But no, unlike all the other characters' names, like it's a kind of a Native American sounding name, and that it has, or or at least a translated Native American sounding name, and that it's you know it's it's two words kind of stuck together. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, well, why would that be? Would that be the kind of name of the region that she comes from. People have names like that. Or maybe it's a military thing where you get adopted into, this is specific to Domus, when you get adopted into a military platoon, especially if you are, say, a war orphan or something, uh, Angela wasn't, but maybe she would take on, each platoon has a name, and dogs sometimes change their last name to that. Their, with the pack they run to, with. Yeah, so it'd be something that kind of happens. For Dingo, it's an interesting circumstance, because whereas that's a, a thing that you do, you're, you might be expected mm-hmm. to do, especially during something as tumultuous as the Great War, you know, that kind of relates to it being his family, which he's actively trying to make it not because he doesn't ever want to get too attached to anything. So I, I have a last name proposed for him that is in the same styling as Boneheart. And then as I was working through it, I was like, well, okay, so it's if we were working with a Dingo redacted whatever, well, maybe everyone calls him Dingo. But the thing is, no one actually uses his actual name and it makes him uncomfortable, too. He's a war orphan. Like he's been called whatever anybody called him. They don't might not even know who his actual parents were. Mm-hmm. So they give him the last name of the platoon and they give him a nickname and whatever. But maybe you know he has he has records or something. So what I have here is Sebastian quote Dingo Redpaw, and so really he'd be Dingo Redpaw or Sebastian Redpaw. But no one fucking calls him that. And it might not even ever come up during the show. But the idea that he actually has a name, a name and it's just not one that anyone calls him or has ever called him. I like that. You're like, oh, yeah, you know, he was part of a thing, and you sort of adopt the name of whatever pack you're with, right? Mm. The idea of him being a loner, and if he had a bad experience with the war, maybe, I don't know if maybe he was betrayed, or if he's the only survivor, for whatever the reasons, maybe he didn't have a last name because he disavowed, like he disowned whatever pack he was with because they went bad, or he just survived. He's not a pack because he's the only person who survived that pack so he's just dingo and it's kind of like a mark of shame to not have a pack maybe red paw is like they know he has that but nobody calls him that because it's like a mark of shame because of a history well if he's the only one left out of that platoon yeah 
that's a mark of shame in I, and of itself. Maybe it's something we need something bigger than a platoon, like a division. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm not the greatest uh, on on knowing. Well, that no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. Actually, I want to get to something else that I also kind of like from giving him the first name of Sebastian, which ties into this idea that Dingo has trust issues. Very few people that he serves with or who are still around him, tying back to the fact that there are few people who he served with who would have known that that are still around. So very few people know his true name, save maybe Angela or people who he gets intimate with. Right. Which... Like his soul name for the Hanar. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it lends that extra level of intimacy to whatever relationship he has if yeah. and when they learn his true name. And without saying anything else about the yeah. character to have an aside between him and Angela where Angela calls him Sebastian. Yeah, if no one else is around. If no one else is around and she just sits there and, you yeah, know. You drop that in the middle of season two. People, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Especially when it's been established that no one else really, that no one knows his name or whatever. But this thing that you just said, because I'm always trying to think of ways to connect characters in this interlocking web. How does Dingo connect with Pierre? How does Dingo connect with King Corso, even though they often fight? Like, there's got, they have to have some things in common, whether it's a point of view, Mm -hmm. something they both hate, you know, whatever. One thing that Dingo can have in common with Kid is an assumed name. Exactly. Something where it's like, she's taken in as a kid into this pack. They give her the name Kid. That's who she is, as far as everyone else is concerned. Same thing happened to Dingo. Yeah, at one point he was kid. I mean, his name was Dingo. They called him Dingo, but it was the same but sort. Of, it was the same, same situation. And, and, yes. and they, they're calling him Dingo because of the way he acts. You know, yeah, and like, the, and the way and he is a Dingo. You know, yeah. it's like so. It's like it's a like, hey, kid. You're acting like a kid. You know, it's, it makes to me. It, to me, I think that's beautiful. So I totally dig on that. If that was your controversy, Captain, that was to- it. It was how about the name that we had for the character. This whole time, the first thing we came up no, with yeah. wasn't actually the thing. No, yeah, no. Everybody calls me Tony. I've got two other names that nobody ever uses. I, I am fine with him going by something that we know and that will add depth to the character. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that went over so well. Yeah, yeah that was great. And even I read Paul. The more I think of it, it's like, it is like Boneheart, but to me, it suggests maybe violence, you know? Or, or, like, like, or blood on his hands. Exactly. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Age 36, rank commander, weapon of choice, rifles, machete, hand-to-hand tactical. Power set Thunderbark and ear-shattering bark with enough concussive force to break concrete. Personality, strong and silent type. Unorthodox, loner. Bio, an orphan of the Great War, young Dingo was taken in by the Canine Alliance and trained to fight. The military became his mentor, training him to do what he couldn't for his family, protect. Dingo remained distant from his military family, never wanting to experience that loss again. He excelled as a soldier, though he was frequently reprimanded for his lone wolf tactics. The first dog Dingo ever let himself get attached to was Angela. On an early combat mission, deep in the jungle and behind enemy lines, he was the only survivor. Angela, too, was the last of her squad, and against all odds, the two took down an enemy stronghold. Dingo and Angela developed a reputation in the Alliance military and a closeness that Dingo would hazard to call family. When Angela was offered a position in special ops, she recommended Dingo as well. Goals? To preserve freedom on Domus at all costs. Fears? Loss. Which is another thing that ties him to Nerissa. Loves? Bacon double cheeseburgers with peppers, relish, and hot sauce. Hates, excuses, and the people who make them. I can't imagine how he and Kane Corso will get along. How will anybody in Kane Corso get along? See, I think Kane Corso is going to surprise us. I think he is. He already has. Yeah. He's, every, time we, every time we focus on Kane Corso, something new comes up and it completely surprises us. Because mm-hmm. he is a good guy most of the time. He's just a dick. Yeah. little dickish. Look, the dicks are fun to write. They yeah. really are. Yeah. That is the, my three. Aside from Pierre's last name, which is still like very much... Pending. It's beret. It's okay. You know it to be true. We really should figure out how that word is even pronounced. Uh, no changes to this? 
No, man. Uh, not, I, I, not the first I, two. The, I, just the idea that there is this huge part of Dingo's life, both from his service in the military and from the time before he joined it, that is wrapped in mystery. Yeah, if we can somehow maybe add one sentence that clarifies that much he of has what seen some know, secret stuff. Well, even just that or rather, much of what people know of Dingo... Is secret. Not even in secret, that people can't tell fact from fiction. Right. That he's done shit, that he's seen shit, that seems so just Because, yeah, there. like, all that, all that was really good, but why does that make him the leader? Well, I mean, anything after the sentence, when Angelo was offered a position in special ops, she recommended Dingo as well. Something about how... I don't want to say he's, oh, he's totally shrouded in mystery, but there is a mysterious part of him that... People don't know what's what he's actually like, done. Is it, is it hiding... Is yeah, is it hiding, like, a really bad thing, or is it hiding that he's really that badass? I would even say in regards to how he got into special ops... That he got in not under a recommendation from a senior officer, but that he was selected for it. That he was pulled in based on, and maybe even Angela turned down the opportunity. I think maybe this could be wrong, but is it more interesting that Dingo was called into special ops and he says, not without Angela, as opposed to Angela being pulled in and she says that she just recommends him? I think it is, because it lends credibility not only to the connection between them, but also to Dingo having an exceptional set of skills. Don't want to go against him being like the loner type guy, though. I mean, like, but Angela's the only one that he's ever really been close with. I was The reason why well, I'm saying is just like, if if it, it's an interesting character trait for him, like, oh, he's a loner, he's a loner, he's a loner, he's a loner. He maybe had a, a relationship with Angela that you can't quite explain. What and I then, would say there is when the mission calls for it, you know, they want to send him in with a squad, and he says, no, if I'm doing this, I do it my way, and there's only right. one person who can keep up with me. Yeah. I left some holes in here. For example, it, it reads, the first dog Dingo ever let himself get attached to was Angela. And I'd like there to be some openness. I don't know if it's worthwhile or not, but that an opportunity that after the Great War, when he's obviously still working for the military, but there could be a chance for him to reevaluate who he is and potentially undergo some kind of additional loss that he blames himself for. Yeah, that can always be stuff after the fact, yeah. That seems like what led him to connect with Angela in the first place. Well, what I would ask, and I don't know if we ever settled on it in relation to how much of an air of mystery he has, is depending on how deep of an operative he is, how many people would even know about his reputation? It's true. Maybe Nerissa and Pierre, maybe because they're in the same field, but like, is this, this guy isn't someone who's ever been plastered all over he's not he's not a war hero what i'd compare it to have either of you read any of the and i know this is digging deep but the halo novels no no a lot of them were written by this guy eric nyland and the spartans you know the master chief and all that he's part of a class of warrior called a spartan right right. what they do the public facing part of it he's a face and he's great but a lot of what they do is still shrouded in mystery and people don't know what's true about them and what's false about them they know the reputation it's that kind of reputation that's like, you know, I heard Ozzy Osbourne ate a bat on stage. Fame or no fame, public or not, when you hear that, hey, the special ops is on base, I hear it's Dingo. What, fucking what, Dingo? Seriously, that guy? Redpaw? Holy shit, you know what I heard about him? Dude took out an entire base by himself. They tried to send in a squad and he said no. No? I can't even... Seriously. Yeah, I don't believe any of that shit. I think he's just some kind of a puffed-up propaganda piece to scare the new recruits into following their sergeant. It's a part of that I like, but I, I like the idea of him showing up and Narisa, Pierre, and Kane Corso look at him. Pierre looks at Narisa and is like, you know who that is? And it's like, oh, I, I, I think that's our new CO. And it's just like, 
So his name is Dingo. It's like, you ever hear of him? Never heard of him before. What makes him so great? And then it's like, Nerissa goes, nothing. And that's what scares me. You know, like the unknown is what's terrifying. If he's so deep that we don't know about him, there's a reason. I think we can, I honestly, I think we can have both of that. I think we can. Because would superior officers like Nerissa, like Pierre, engage in water cooler talk? I mean, really? I don't know. Because it all depends on what circle you float around with. And gossip lives in the trenches. Because that's, you know, you're waiting on news. You're not generating news. You're waiting on it and you're reacting to it. So they got to make their own entertainment. They got to make their own stories. Maybe the Red Paw uh, is what's famous. Perhaps and the Red Paw, perhaps. I mean, there's a number of like different if, ways. If, if, if the Red Paw is famous, but Dingo is not. Or if the Red Paw is famously revered and yet now non-existent. Yeah. You see like a Red Paw show up, you're like, whoa. That, uh, like thought you were all dead. Yeah. That alone can tell you that there's a story behind that where it's like, I thought all the Red Paws were dead. And he goes, not all of them. <laughs> like, you know, the reaction to yeah. that i mean these are both these are all like good things i'm just trying to rationalize a way to make it all work because i mean the spartans as an example are, are an interesting case because you know they're dudes in suits and you can have a dude in that specific armor that only they can wear you can slap that on a poster and be like you know rallying cry the spartans there's a long-standing thing within the books that spartans never die right but dingo dingo's just a dog he's a dog who looks like a lot of other dogs yep so you wouldn't assume much from yeah. looking at him. It's it's tough. So his name would have to carry weight. If he's in the special ops, well, you're probably not going to hear about him. You know, like there's a Winter Soldier, right? Yeah. The Winter Soldier was a story that was told of like no one believes it, but there's this assassin who mm-hmm. just it, it, no one knew his background. No one says like he used to be Captain America's pal, and then he got brainwashed. No one knew that shit. They just knew there was there's this assassin, and he keeps showing up, and he never seems to age, and he's been killing people randomly for the past fifty years. Yeah, and that's a cool story. So what can we do to build Dingo's Winter Soldier up in that? I don't necessarily know because, I mean, Dingo is his, is his name. Oh, it's what oh, people Jesus call... Jesus like, Christ. <laughs> throw, this, throw this pen like a dart through your eye. I'm I will fair, block I'm fairly that. certain we've made that joke before. So Yeah, but uh, it's, oh, it snuck up on me bad all the time. <laughs> you know what we could do? What's that, Tony? Well, aside from just kind of tagging back to, you know, using the the red paws as the famous element, Dingo bearing that name, is the operative is not known. The ops are. I mean, much in the same way that Winter Soldier, you know, there are these assassinations that happened, and the rumor is it was this Winter Soldier, this boogeyman. Maybe, you know, a, a regime is toppled that there is some sort of an assassination or some sort of wet work thing that happened, and people would be, especially... At the level at which these dogs are, they would be aware of what those ops were, but they wouldn't necessarily know who had done them. And that's the information that can come to light. To get that moment that you were referring to, Doug, you know, I hear that's our new CEO. What do you know about him? Nothing. I, I tried to pull his file and it's redacted. Everything is redacted. You, you can't be serious. Never heard of him, yeah. As far as the canine command is concerned, he doesn't exist. Until today. <laughs> you know, until, until we were assigned him. Oh, and we could even, we could incorporate that red paw into an insignia emblazoned somewhere to where people then see that. And it's like, he's a naughty dog. Because, you know, naughty dog. Yeah. Yeah. The logo. Fuck trademark. (laughs) I'll have to do something else. But he doesn't need to wear it. Describing it is visual enough in your brain. These conversations are the kind of conversations between characters that would happen in the first episode, provided that we show a lot prior to them getting in the far fetch and heading to earth yeah and otherwise 
it's hard to tell when these conversations would display within the show. But I guess we worry about that later. We, all we know, all we need to know is we want to convey yeah. an air of mystery. Background. If we think of our introductory arc as the five episode arc that we all uh, kind of picture it as, first episode, the first half hour, would all be on Domus prepping for this mission. I mean, to, to tag back to Thundercats, as I know we are, we love doing. First episode, they don't even get to I, I would argue that that's why we shouldn't do it because that show is boring as hell and Except we have interesting characters and an interesting vibrant well, colorful world I, yeah but here, here's here's my pitch for how the first episode starts it starts in the middle of the battle with glampire and his minions in front of the farfetch and the explosion and all right the, then we tag back and, and then, it, and then the explosion happens and that's the flashback yeah, and, it, they, and they, it looks like they're dead yeah and then it says However many hours earlier. Yeah, 48 hours earlier. And then eventually we get back. It has that same shot of like Dingo's hand or whoever in the rubble and then like lightning twitching through it and then like shit happens. Okay. No, I'm, I'm down with starting in Meteor Res and then tagging back, but one of the episodes would be before the departure. We could, but we could always pull a Lost where if you ever had a great idea for an episode that takes place on Domus, we just do it. And it's just out of time, you know? There's ways to do what we want to do. I'm not sure that... The way to get an audience's attention is right off the bat to build a drama in a world that they're going to get used to and then take it away from them. But would be interesting to be able to show those flashbacks somehow or something. Down the line. That's what I'm saying. Like down the line. Yeah. Maybe deeper flashbacks down the line. We we have possibilities there and we have the opportunities to show Domus in flashback style. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, writing these bios, every one of these characters has stories, especially stories during the war that are worth telling. And, uh, I don't know how we're going to tell them, but that's going to be half the fun of finding out where we can fit that information in. Comic book miniseries. Yeah, anything we got. I mean, like, for example, Greg Weissman, he helped build out the cast of Star Wars Rebels, and then they built so much compelling backstory for Kanan that they realized they were never going to get in uh, the show that they got, you know, they got like over 12 issues worth of comic books out of it. And it was great, every single one. But uh, so that's all we got this time. I I think what we got today is, is Pitch Bible ready. My tail is wagging in anticipation. Fantastic. In our next session, we finish our expanded profiles of the main cast and begin plotting out the pilot episode of the series, the big multi-part introductory story that, back in VHS days, might have been compiled and repackaged as Lightning Dogs, the movie, as with series like Miami Vice and Gargoyles. But before that episode comes out, we've got a lot on our plate, namely our second convention appearance. We're going to be at Megaplex in Orlando, Florida, August 4th through 6th. Tony and I will be there every day, with Local Shop joining us on Friday the 4th, and Doug on Saturday and Sunday the 5th and 6th. We'll be talking about the series, doing commissions, and selling our 36-page sketchbook of concept art, which you can pick up on the internet at nerdyshow.com slash store. And we've also got Lightning Dogs t-shirts, too. At Megaplex, we'll be running a panel on Saturday the 5th at 4 p.m. called Don't Let Your Dreams Be Dreams, where we'll be talking about lessons learned from lightning dogs, a.k.a. making dumb jokes become brilliant decisions. If you love our canine creations as much as we do, the only way we can see this dream come to life is through your support. Get a friend hooked on lightning dogs, rate and review us on iTunes or Podchaser, or join us on Patreon. Even a dollar a month, just $12 a year, makes a huge difference and affords us the financial stability to pay our bills, help pay for us to work with new artistic collaborators, and other essential steps to making Lightning Dogs a reality. Supporting us on Patreon gets you early access to episodes as soon as they're available, and even an exclusive podcast, The Wasteland Drive-In, where we watch movies that inspire the world of Lightning Dogs. The past two months, we've watched two particularly important ones, 
The Man Who Fell to Earth, a David Bowie starring picture that informs how we handle Glampire in a big way, and Slipstream, an obscure 1989 film starring Bill Paxton and Mark Hamill, which becomes a constant point of reference for us, especially when it comes to the attitude of Halloween Jack. Oh, and there's a perk that you can access at any level of Patreon support. You officially join the pack. So everyone, get ready to howl, and welcome the newest member, Joshua Nelson. Welcome, cadet. It's a pleasure to have you fighting alongside us in our quest for animated awesomeness. But that's enough debriefing. We'll see you next time on Lightning Dogs. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.